Well, hey, City Lights, good to see you guys. Good morning. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm so excited to be together this morning, studying God's Word, singing together, eating some Krispy Kremes, and hopefully not slipping on the ice. Um, but, uh, man, I first just want to say, I'm, uh, if, if, you, if you're just joining us, I'm glad you're here. Like, I'm so thankful. It feels like every week I get to meet people that are coming here for the first time, and it's such a joy. And so I hope that you feel like you're a part of this wild family Jesus is bringing together. And, uh, and also, um, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians um, for the last few weeks, and we'll continue to do that up until the end of the summer. And so we'll be in this short book uh, for quite a while. But this book is packed full of beautiful truths of who we are if we've placed our faith in Jesus. And, uh, and I love it because it's been the, uh, Paul spends the first three chapters um, explaining who we are, and then he spends the, the final three chapters explaining how we respond to who we are, right? How we become who we are. And so I'm excited for it. I hope you are too. But you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning, and uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 7. But as you're getting there, have you ever had a situation that you couldn't get yourself out of? Like a time where you couldn't get yourself out of, well, I remember I was seven years old, and uh, we were in California, and we were boating in a lake over spring break. And so we're going, our family friends had a nice boat, and so we're going, having a blast, listening to music, going through, I was just eating it up, right? And out of nowhere, a speedboat comes and crashes into us. Like, people literally, f- like, flying. Like, it was that, it was like that serious. And um, the next thing I remember is, um, is gaining, recon- like, consciousness, like, coming back. And I just was looking around. There's debris everywhere. I couldn't see anyone. I couldn't get any words out. And I'm, like, barely floating. Uh, I, th- I must have had a life jacket on, but I don't think it was, I don't know if it's buckled or not. And uh, so I'm, like, literally, like, uh, like barely staying afloat. I'm, I'm, and at this time, I'm losing energy because uh, I'm trying to kick uh, and keep myself. I'm literally moments from drowning, like that serious. And in that moment, like I totally need to be rescued. In that moment, I feel a hand, like an arm kind of lifts me up. I look back, and it's my mom. And, uh, and, I, and like she took off her life jacket, put it on me, kept me safe. And I'm like, I, I, and, and no one broke any bones, I don't think it was just, uh, or no one died or anything like that, just like crazy uh, experience, but a couple minutes later, the uh, patrol came over and, um, and picked us up, and, and we were safe and, and good, but man, I firmly believe that if my mom wasn't there to, to rescue me, that I would have died, like I wouldn't be here right now. I couldn't help myself, I couldn't kick my way out of it, I couldn't stay afloat, I needed to be safe. Have you ever had a moment like that, where, where it was just like, man, like I just can't get myself out of this, I just need to be rescued, and someone needs to come and, and, and rescue me. Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, our, our passage today, Paul clearly and unapologetically tells us that we need to be saved. And not just from a boat crash, or a bad relationship, or a bi- bad financial situation, we, we need to be saved from the wrath that our sin deserves, right? We need to be saved from, from uh, the American dream, get all you can now, superficial worldview we live in. We need to be saved from the temptations of Satan. We need to be saved from ourselves, and, and we need to be saved from the death that we so willingly were walking in, right? And, uh, and that's bad news. <laughs> You're like, why did I come? Dude told a story where he almost died, and they said that we're dead, like we need to be saved. Like, this is not a good Sunday to come. Well, uh, it gets better. Let me just say that. But, but, but without knowing the bad news, the good news can't really be good, can it? You know, I just I want us to sink into this bad news first. And so look with me at verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked. So the first thing I want us to see is that we were the walking dead. 
We were the walking dead. All right, so throughout this book, over and over and over again, Paul reminds us of who we are in Christ. So we found out the last couple weeks, we're, we're, we're saints, we're adopted, we're chosen, we're loved, we're forgiven and redeemed, and so much more, and we'll find out a lot more about this. But this is the first time in this book that Paul explicitly tells us who we were, okay? We've been studying who we are, but this is the first time he reminds us of who we were, right? So he's saying, hey, uh, celebrate the fact that Jesus made you, uh, made you alive, that he saved you, that he loves you. Celebrate who he's made you into be, but don't forget who you once were. Like, don't forget where you were before he broke into your story. And I think it's important to note that Paul, when he's speaking about death, isn't talking about a physical death, um, but a spiritual death. And in John 3, Jesus tells a man named Nicodemus, says, hey, you need to be born again. Uh, and, and it kind of sounds weird, like language, right? Like he's saying, dude, I'm like a grown man, and I'm, I'm like, what do you mean I need to be born again? Was the first birth not good enough? Yeah, actually, it wasn't good enough. You know, you need to be reborn. And so I'll get more into this later, but the first thing I just want to show us is that we are born into sin. We're born into sin. And so I have a daughter named Graceland, and she's absolutely beautiful. Like you look at her, and you just want to pick her up and like kiss her little chubby cheeks. And so she got her mom's Good looks, but she also got her mom's attitude, okay? Uh, I'm kidding. No, maybe she got that from me. But she, a uh, girl can get sassy, okay? That's all I'm saying. Um, but but I, I love her to death, and, and as she's outwardly adorable, I've seen that she has a sin nature, right? She, she, all she ever thinks about is herself, right? She, like, she wants to eat when she wants to eat and only what she wants to eat, okay? If you try and give her something she doesn't want to eat, it's like, no, no. You know, she just goes crazy on it, right? So um, if you uh, take a toy away from her, you better have, like, Kevlar on or something like that because girls got some sharp fingernails, all right? Uh, I got a scratch on my neck, literally. Um, uh, I mean, just, just uh, for instance, she's, uh, you tell her, like, hey, don't go in the dog food. Like, no, no, you know? And then you turn away for a second, she's there. It's like she turns into Usain Bolt. Like, when you look away, it's like, how did you get there, and why do you like dog food so much? You know, it's just a weird, I don't know if I'm a bad parent or something like that, moving to put somewhere else, but she, she's, she's wild, right? And so this has been... It's been difficult for me, but I've seen my little girl's sin nature, right? She's born, and she's, 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 she's selfish in that. And, and, and no one has to, if you have kids, you know that you don't have to teach a kid to hide. They just do. It's, you don't have to teach a kid to lie. It's just instinctive in all of us, and it's really unique. I mean, that's our sin nature. And, and so, uh, to put this in other words, although our physical heart is beating, our spiritual heart has flatlined since birth. Okay, uh, we were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, and so we have to be really clear about this. City light, the person that hasn't trusted in Jesus yet isn't sick; they're dead. Okay, it's not like, hey, give me, you know, what do you need? Some medicine or some church? Put that on it, and it'll be fine. Or a couple good rules to follow, and then you'll be alive. No, it's like they're dead. Like they're not just sick; they're dead. We were dead before Jesus broke into our story. And so, look back at verse two with me, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Okay, so after dropping this bomb on us that we were all dead, Paul gives three influences of our deadness, and the beginning of verse 2 tells us that the first influence in our deadness is the world. Okay, the first one is the world. So Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed uh, um, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Paul is telling us there's a real pull that is wanting to pull us away from God, that the world is going to sweep us up in, right? And all of us would full-heartedly agree. I mean, there's an evil pattern and a brokenness in the world that will entice our hearts every single day. 
I remember being in college, and everyone told me, dude, college is just for, uh, for partying and uncommitted relationships, and so I did that. I lived it, and I drank deeply of the world, and it wasn't satisfying, but I went with the course of the world. And, uh, and Jesus, is, Jesus prays this beautiful prayer in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. And he doesn't pray that we would be taken out of the world, which would have been really nice, by the way, right? It's like, hey, you know, you, 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 like, you place your faith in Jesus and you get zapped to an island with all other Christians. You're like, no, no temptation, sweet. You know, it's like, doesn't do that, though. He, said, he doesn't pray that. He prays that we would be uh, in the world, but that we would be different, right? He's saying, I'm sending you into the world that you would be different, that you would live out the gospel, that you'd love people, that you would show people me. Why? Because there's more people that need to meet Jesus, right? If you're just zapped to an island, well, then the Christian faith dies, and all the people that are perishing have no mouth to tell them that the gospel, right? And so here's how you do this to reconcile, hey, all this stuff is by realizing that we are in the world, but we're not of the world, Okay, huge distinction. You're in the world, but this isn't really where you belong. Like, this isn't really where your citizenship is. Philippians says that your citizenship is in heaven. So knowing that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're supposed to be separate and different. And Ephesians 2 says that we follow the course of the world. So really practically, Selah, I just want to ask you to be introspective for a second and just kind of ask yourself, sit before the Lord and ask him, hey, what ways am I following the course of the world right now? Like, what ways am I believing things that the world says that are contrary to what you say, right? Just, just maybe to even think about that or, or sometime this week when you spend time with Jesus. Um, so, ladies in the room, can I speak to you for a second? Uh, in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter says, hey, um, uh, hey, don't, women, don't let your adorning, don't let what you think is beautiful be by what you wear or your jewelry or your fancy new haircut. Now, none of those things are wrong, and I hope every once in a while you treat yourself, right? But, but he says right here, hey, don't, don't believe that those things make you beautiful. Like, don't believe that that makes you beautiful. I mean, the world will tell you what the scale says makes you beautiful, but the Bible would say that what God says about you makes you beautiful, right? The world will say, hey, hey, you need to have makeup on your face and this certain body type and this certain this. And the Bible will say, no, you are beautiful because God made you beautiful. He deemed you beautiful. He said that over you. And so would you believe that? So don't be discouraged when you can't like buy nice clothes or, or nice jewelry. Jesus is literally clothing you in his righteousness, which is far more beautiful. And so choose to believe what, what Jesus says and not what the world says. Because one will lead to striving and anxiety and restlessness, and one will result in just peace, knowing that your father thinks you're beautiful. And and men and women in the room, the world will tell us that we can find our identity in how well we provide, how much money we make, uh, how big our house is, how big our car is, how many promotions we get, whatever our title at work is, but don't believe that lie. Because you know what that will result in if you do that? We will tirelessly choose work over family every single day. We'll start to spend more time uh, at work. We'll put 80, 90 plus hours in a week. And then all that time dwindles from our kids. And I'm not saying it's wrong to provide. Definitely provide and definitely work hard. But let work be work and let family be family, right? Like just come, be excited to come home and play with your kids. And, and I've seen it. I mean, there's, it's so easy to spend so much time on our phone. Where we're addicted to spend time on our phone. And then we're losing time with our kids. Like precious time to be on the floor with our kids. And but, but again, believing this lie that our identity is wrapped up in what we do and how much money we make, you'll want to make more money, right? But there's this tireless, restless pursuit of it where you'll just be exhausted. 
I mean, your neighbor will get a better grill. Your friend will move to a nicer neighborhood. Your brother-in-law will make more than you. And that's okay. But this is truly, this is a struggle that I'm facing right now and Jesus is working on in my heart. We're saying, Austin, you're not defined by what you do, what you make, where you live. You're defined by my love for you, right? So I'm just saying the world will tell you that all those things matter. But Jesus will say that it doesn't matter that you can take your kids on a huge, extravagant, tropical vacation or get them nice, really, gifts in, uh, for Christmas or, um, or provide a super big house. No, he's saying the most important things your kids can have is to know their heavenly father. City Light, if I can compel you, do not live in such a way that your friends and family are convinced by you that this world satisfies, because it doesn't. Jesus does, right? So would our lives reflect that, that my only satisfaction, my only source of joy is in Jesus Christ, because he's the only one that will deliver on that promise. And this is, a, I mean, this struggle for wanting to conform to the world, the struggle of wanting to, to, to just go with the flow of the world, to follow that course, it's not new, by the way. It's not just, come, it didn't just come about in 2018. Paul's writing this to the church 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, who's facing real problems. I mean, they're worshiping random gods. They're running away from God, wanting nothing to do with the one true God. I mean, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so be encouraged, believer, that believers for thousands of years have fought the temptations of this world and chosen Jesus. Okay, so you're not alone in that. I love that we get to look at the Ephesus church and say, like, wow, like, yeah, this is, we're facing the same things you are. Um, and verse 2 continues, and it says, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So that's the second influence, and it's the devil. The second influence in our spiritual death is the devil. Now, this passage, this verse literally says that at one point, every single one of us followed Satan, followed the devil. And you might cringe at that and say, like, dude, I don't know, bro. Like, I've been watching VeggieTales since I was one. You know, <laughs> congratulations. You know, uh, yeah, my, I was not watching that when I was little. Um, but, 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 I mean, if we were to say, what does it look like to follow Satan? Most of us are picturing, like, this, like, dark room and, like, weirdly lit candles and, like, sacrificing animals or something like that. And if that's your, it just doesn't sound super fun, but if that's your view of following Satan, then you're right. Probably a majority of us in the room have not done that. But I don't think that's how people, I don't think that's how the Bible would always refer to us following Satan. We want to over, overdo it and just be like, oh, it's either like this or it's this. No, I think Satan's goal it is subtle disobedience to God. Subtle disobedience to God. I mean, Satan's ta- I mean, it's a sneaky disobedience. It doesn't feel that bad. It isn't culture, you know, all, all that stuff. Satan's tactic is giving a little bit of truth, some truth, sounds good, but actually twisting it so that our hearts might avert from God. I mean, Satan takes good things and wants us to make them ultimate things. Right? That's his... That's his tactic. And so for most of us in the room, I mean, the way that Satan has worked in our lives isn't the cultural scarlet letter of rape, uh, adultery, or, or um, murder, or fraud. No, I think, I think his goal is to sink us into things that aren't pleasing to God, but are completely appropriate in our, in our world right? Sneaky things. I mean, just like, the, just like I said, you know, idolizing your work. I mean, the whole world is going to pat you on the back for working hard and getting raises. Everyone around you can say, dude, good job, man. Nice out. Keep it going. And yet the father would say, that's great. I'm glad you're providing, but what about your family? He wants to do those things. Sneaky, subtle disobedience from God. I mean, good things made ultimate things, and the ultimate thing just made a good thing, right? And so you've got two princes you can follow. The prince of the power of the air 
Satan or the Prince of Peace, Jesus. One's going to lead to death and one's going to lead to life. And in John 10, 10, Jesus says, hey, the thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come so they might have life and have it abundantly. That's the call that Jesus makes, and you can choose which one you want to follow. But all the way back in Genesis 3, Satan twisted the words of God and made Eve question the righteousness and perfection of God. Satan uh, lied to her, and it produced spiritual death, right? And then in John 8, 44, Jesus gives the title to Satan. He says, hey, Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of, of lies. And, so, and then he's a murderer. So Satan lies, and it produces death. And at one point, we were all believing the lies of Satan in subtle ways and overt ways, and it brought death. Every single one of us. And then verse 3 continues with this motivational speech. Uh, and it says this, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The third influence in our spiritual death is our flesh. Our flesh, right? So you got the world, Satan, and our flesh. And so this is huge. The first two are outside or around us, right? So like Satan's trying to like influence us from around. The world's just around us. But Paul takes this to the heart, and he says, hey, uh, um, you are corrupted not just out there, but you're also corrupted within. There's something not just out there that's influencing. You're actually influenced in your own nature. And, um, and when Paul says flesh, he's not referring to your body, because your body isn't innately sinful. When he says flesh, he's referring to your fallen nature, okay? The fallen nature that we were born with, just like I talked about with Graceland, that wants to control the body and the mind and cause us to disobey God. And so if you wonder why a cow doesn't act like a golden retriever, easy, because it doesn't have the nature of a golden retriever, right? It's going to act like a cow. Uh, and, and in the same way, if you're asking, well, why does a why does a person act like a sinner? Easy, because they have the nature of a sinner. Like, that's just what you're going to do. And so in the same way that you can anticipate a golden retriever becoming like this warm, loving, sweet companion, you can also anticipate um, every human being sinning, rebelling, and disobeying because of our sin nature right? It's the same thing. It's just going to happen. Like with Gracie, I'm seeing that. It's hard as a dad to see that, but that's what she will walk in. That's her nature. And because of all of this, because of all that we've just done before, uh, so far, verse 3 says that we're children of wrath. That's not a good title that you want to be like, yeah, put that on my name tag when I go to a conference, you know, like child of wrath, like, oh, I'm going to stay away from that dude. Uh, but we're children of wrath apart from God, right? We're created wonderfully and perfectly by him, but tainted by the inescapable allure of sin. Every single person has, that has lived or ever will live has the same truth spoken over them. We are dead without Jesus. We're dead without him. At one point, all of us were controlled by the world, by the devil, and by our flesh, the three great enemies of God. And we can't change our own nature. We can't overcome the world or the devil. We need outside help. We need someone to come and save us. That is the worst news you will ever hear. I mean, I mean, seriously. And so, like, 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 you're probably just like, you know, like, oh, I don't know if I like this. I mean, this is such, this is hard news, and I agree, and I've seen it, I've walked in these things. But the two, here's the two best words, the two best words that you'll ever hear. Verse 4, but God. Amen? But God. I mean, Paul sinks us back into our seats, and we're thinking like, 
oh my gosh, I mean, there's a weight on our shoulders, and he shows us our sinful, rebellious past without any ability to escape it, and then he breathes life into our previous state. I mean, four, verse 4 is saying, hey, your story doesn't end with your rebellion. It ends with God's faithfulness. You rebelled, but God. You sinned, but God. You ran away, but God. You were dead, but God. I mean, this is the best news ever. If you don't get excited about this, I don't know what you would get excited about. We were dead without Jesus, but God made us alive with him. So the bad news is we were the walking dead. First point. The good news is, but God made us alive with Jesus. But God made us alive with Jesus. So verse 4 continues. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Notice that before it ever speaks about what God does, Paul mentions who God is, right? 1 John 4 says that God is love. It's just who he is. So in other words, um, God's love isn't simply an action, but it's also an attribute. Just, it's just who he is. And this is like he's full of mercy, it says. And this isn't like a New Testament Jesus idea, like God somehow changed between the Old Testament and New Testament. No, uh, Exodus 34, 6, God reminds him, says, hey, I'm, I'm gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is who he is. And I love that the focus doesn't just stay on our sinfulness, right? I love the focus doesn't just stay on our inability to save ourselves, but it shifts to God's faithfulness, to God's love. The focus shifts from our inability and then to God's ability to save us. It's, it's beautiful. And I think this shows us that as we take one look at our sin, we should take 10 looks at Jesus, right? 10 looks at his grace. So I just want to compel you, don't just stay with your sin. Don't just like sit on that, kind of stew on that for a while. Like look to Jesus, like see his grace that pours over that sin. Karl Barth was a theologian that traveled all over the world and spoke at seminaries and schools. And um, uh, while he was in class one day, a seminary student raised his hand and said, hey, Dr. Barth, I've got a question for you. I might stump you. What's the most profound theological statement ever uttered? And he's anticipating like these big theological words. And Dr. Barth thinks for a second and says, Jesus loves me. <laughs> like, you're like, that's it? That's the most profound theological statement in the world that Jesus, I mean, many of us sang that song when we were little, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so That's the most profound theological statement you could ever think of. Beautiful. And the sad thing is, unfortunately, I think we'd maybe all agree on this in some level, depending on where you're at. I feel like that phrase that Jesus loves me has lost its power over time in my heart. Unfortunately for a lot of us, it feels like it's, it's just become mundane and ordinary and assumed. I mean, and this is why verses 1 through 3 are so important for us to grasp right? To see our sinfulness, to see our previous state. I mean, we aren't entitled to his grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. We did nothing for it. At one point in time, you and I were completely unlovable, but God, who's rich in mercy, loved us with a great love. I love that it doesn't doesn't say like God just loved us, but he loved us with a great love, an amazing love, a soul love, an extravagant love. That's what he did for you and I. But this good news, I feel like it can start to like diminish and become stale, and, and it's just so incredible. In verse 5, it, it gets better. He says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, even when you were dead in your trespasses, if we're being honest, even when, it's kind of a hard, hard words for us to accept, 
right? Because uh, everything else in life comes after we've worked hard, we've proved ourselves, we've gotten better, we've been successful in an interview, but that's not how God's love works. See, for a long time, I thought that I had to clean myself up before I could come to God, right? Hey, I'll stop lying so much. I'll stop looking at this on the internet. I'll stop doing that with her. I'll stop doing this and clean myself up, and then maybe, maybe then God will accept me. And if that's you, if that's your thought right now where you're interacting, please remember verse 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, unable to do anything good for God, unable to revive our hearts, I mean, we're just dead. We can't do anything for him. It's even when in that moment he made you alive in Christ. He came after you even when you were dead. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And notice that verse doesn't say, hey, come to me when you fix yourself up, when you're unaddicted, and then I'll give you rest. Notice it doesn't say, hey, come to me when you fix that pornography problem, and I'll give you rest. It doesn't, it doesn't say, hey, come to me once you've, uh, when you stop sleeping with uh, the other person outside of marriage. Hey, it doesn't say, come to me when you stop, you dr- when you've let the bottle down and stop with that, or stop with drugs or whatever. It doesn't say, come to me once you've uh, fixed yourself up, stopped cutting yourself, and came out of depression. No, it says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and dead, and I will give you rest. I will give you life. That's the gospel, friends. That even when we were dead and rebelling, Christ came for us and loved us and died for us. God's love has nothing to do with what you've done and everything to do with what Jesus has done for you. I mean, Jesus loves with an even when love, even when we were dead. But God, he's calling the dead to be awakened to life through Jesus. And church, simply... These verses prove to us that God is better at saving than we are at sinning. Right? God is better at saving than we are at sinning. We just can't out-sin him. We just we can't out-sin his grace or or out-run away into darkness for his light to come and shine into it. That's just who he is. And if that doesn't motivate you to see the bitterness of sin and the beauty of God, I don't know what will. This is the most compelling news I've ever heard in my life. And in verses 5 and 7, he continues. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love that Paul doesn't just say that we're alive, but that we're specifically alive with Jesus. <laughs> right? He explains, this, hey, you're no longer in the casket dead, and you're not even just like walking around the cemetery alive, but you're, he goes even further, say, you're actually with Jesus, like you're raised with him, and then verse 6 goes even farther and says, you're not just raised with Jesus, but you're seated with Jesus. This is a place of honor for someone that deserved uh, shame. This is a place of poverty for someone that deserved, um, a place of riches for someone that deserved poverty. This is a place of, uh, of, of mercy for someone that deserved punishment. This is grace, that he would invite us into this. We get to sit with Jesus for all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? We're not like these lowly peasants that like barely squeak in. No, we're like exalted saints that, that are loved and cherished by Jesus. My grandpa and I just built a bench in our dining area, and, um, 
and, and I'm so happy it's done. It took a lot of late nights, and we worked hard on it, but it's finally finished, and I can't wait to have many of you over at our house to eat at that dinner table and make memories talking about Jesus' goodness. But you want to know the first thing I did when I finished it? Sat down on it. <laughs> just sat back and enjoyed it like, wow, feels good. I mean, doesn't it feel good to sit down and just kind of admire your work and admire what's finished? And I think this is what Paul is saying when he says that we're seated with Christ. Like, one, of the, one of the implications of this is that it's done. Like, it's, like, when Jesus said it's finished, he really meant it from the cross. Like, it is done. All of the work to secure God's approval is done. It's finished. It's secure because of Jesus, not because of you. So there's nothing else for you to do. And when we're seated with Christ for all of eternity, we're not going to be, like, high-fiving of all our good works. We're going to be praising Jesus for his good works, right? Thank you for inviting me into a place where I didn't deserve. And so listen, hear me say this. Our spiritual posture before God... Um, our spiritual posture for him isn't this like anxious, restless, running around, trying to check off our religious to-do list in order for him to love us and approve of us. That's not your spiritual posture. It doesn't say that you're running around. It says that you're seated. You, you have confidence in what Jesus has done. I mean, he secured God's approval, and so we just get to sit back and enjoy it, right? So you can stop trying to earn his love and just actually enjoy it. I have a little brother and sister, and Caden is 13, and Bailey's 16, and um, I remember years ago, I was in college, and I went to go visit them in McCook, and so I'm, I'm in McCook, and heading back, it's about a four-hour drive, and I'm like, all right, man, finish lunch, I, I gotta head out, and Caden's like, no, no, please, like, um, can we play catch, and so we threw the pigskin around for a while, and had a blast, and it was a ton of fun, and then um, I'm like, all right, dude, it's time for me to go, like, I gotta go, and he's like, no, Austin, please, like, uh, like, please just let me, let me stay, or, or not, not let me stay, let's, like, play together for a little bit longer. I'm like, okay, I'll make a deal with you. Um, we'll play catch until you drop the ball. And he's like, sure, I'll take that deal all day long, right? And so it's fun at first. I mean, I'm throwing, I'm throwing the ball. He's making, like, Jordan Westerkamp-style catches, okay? I'm like, that would be on ESPN Top 10, okay? Like, no doubt. And so we're going, he's having a blast, and it's so fun, and we're laughing and celebrating, and, and it's just awesome, Right? But over time, it turns from fun into fear. And over time, he starts to become anxious and, and a little bit restless. And he's like, and, and, and he's just so serious because he knows that if he drops the ball, then I have to leave. And, 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 and we're going, and finally, it drops. And I, I, he saw just filled his face. And I walk over and do, buddy, I love you. Proud of you. So fun to hang out with you. I'll see you soon. And I drove away. And about 30 minutes into the drive, I realized wow, I feel like I play, I think I'm playing that game with God all the time. That, he, that he'll hang out with me, he wants to be around me up until when I drop the ball, and then he's gone. You feel that, that weight, that pressure for some reason, thinks that like God just wants to be around you when you behave, and then if you sin, he's just gone. If you drop the ball, he's just gone. I mean, the, the, the gospel says we did nothing to bring God into our lives, it was just him. Therefore, we can confidently conclude that, that nothing we can do can pull God away from our lives, right? Hebrews uh, 13.5 says that God will never leave us or forsake us. Like, he's here. He's, he's for us. He's with us. I mean, you're saved by faith, it says, not by good behavior. That means that what you did last week or last night or even this morning is completely covered by Jesus, and he would still say over you, I love you. Isn't it beautiful, City Light, that our position before God has nothing to do with our performance? Our position before God has everything to do with Jesus' finished performance on our behalf. 
That's the gospel. I can rest knowing that I'm going to fail and not perform. I'm going to drop the ball. But Jesus, you, you, you forgave me in such a way. You died for me in such a way that, that even if I drop the ball, that you still love me and are still for me and will never leave me or forsake me. That's the gospel. Believer in the room, you are seated with Jesus. You're not running around anxiously trying to not drop the ball and appease God. No, you're just enjoying time with your father knowing that he'll never leave you. Like that's what we get to do. These are the immeasurable riches verse 7 talks about. That we have a never-ending relationship with Jesus for all of eternity based on what he did, not what we did. We get to rule and rest with Jesus. And so if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, and you're in here this morning, and you're hearing this message, can I lovingly just tell you that you're dead? Like, I know that's harsh, but I'm not saying it to condemn. I'm not saying it to draw some weird emotion. I'm saying it so that the Lord might convict you to turn and trust in Jesus' free gift of grace. Right? Like, like don't, and if you're believing the lie right now, that, that I've sinned too much, I've failed too much, I'm too broken, I need to fix myself up before God would ever love or accept me, that's a lie from Satan. And he would love for you to believe that. And I'm, I'm going to stand on the truth right now and say, stop. Like, that's, that's not true. A father would say, even when you were dead, Right? We've sinned and rebelled, but God loves us in the midst of that. So would you trust in Jesus this morning? Would you place your faith in him? Not thinking you've got you to fix yourself up or make sure you come next week or get a little better, read your Bible first. No. The man on the cross asked Lord to, Jesus to remember him, uh, and, and Jesus said yes. On the cross, he didn't brought a tithe check. He didn't get better. He didn't do any of those things, and he was forgiven. And the same thing is offered to you this morning. And if you're a believer in the room, can I press in and ask, um, have you started to think that you're entitled to grace? Like, are, are, you, are you in a season where you're just trying to perform for God and make sure that you don't drop the ball and you're afraid that he's going to leave? Has Jesus loves me kind of just lost its power in your life? Are there some things you're, or maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like you're just walking like your old dead self. Right, where you're, you're being controlled and swayed. I mean, you're, you, you know, you're following your old sinful self, your, your flesh. You're, you're following Satan's lies and the temptations of the world. If that's you, can I just remind you, though, that all of that was covered on the cross? <laughs> like, that all of your sin that you're struggling with right now, that I'm struggling with right now, was paid for 2,000 years ago? Jesus saw it and said, yep, I'm still going to die for it. I still love you. I'm still going to pay the price for that sin that they will willingly walk into. He loves you. And he gladly saved you knowing you would sin right in this moment. But, and, like, and you're seated, you're secure. But acting, that, that's not who you are, right? Like that's your old self. That's not who you are, the new creation that God has created in you. No. And walking and acting like our old self, our old dead self, is like crawling back into the casket in the grave. It's like, no. I mean, it says that, it says that God has made you alive, so church, let's live. Amen? Like, let's actually live like new creations that are redeemed by God because of nothing we did and everything that he did. Let's, let's live. And God's grace isn't only a pardon for our sin, it's also power to fight our sin, right? So use his grace to compel us to say, thanks for saving me from that. I don't want to walk anymore. You're, you're better. You're more satisfying. See, like, we were the walking dead, but God made us alive with Jesus. Isn't that amazing news? And this morning, we get to celebrate that. We get to tangibly celebrate that. 
through song, through singing to God and praising him for what he's done, through, through community, through fellowship, through Krispy Kremes and coffee and all that. But we also get to celebrate this reality that God made us alive through communion. And, and so I say, man, God, God made us alive, and that's awesome news. But the flip side of that is that Jesus had to die for you to be alive. Like, Jesus literally had to pay the price and die on the cross for you and I to live. And so we celebrate that. We know that he paid the penalty, but he didn't stay on the cross. He rose again. He resurrected in power and victory, saying, no, I, I finished it. It's, it's done. It's paid for. Now you can be seated. You no longer have to work. And so if, you've, if you're a believer, if you just placed your faith in Jesus this morning, I'd love to invite you to take communion with us, to celebrate what communion is. And if you, you are not a believer yet, I'm challenging you to wrestle with Jesus right now. Wrestle with him and see what's holding you back from trusting in this free gift of grace. And if you choose to follow him, come and take communion with us. We'd love to invite you into this meal. So the bread, there's nothing special about the bread or the juice. We got them from Hy-Vee, but they represent we represent, they represent Jesus, right? And his, what he did in a special way for us. So the bread represents his body that was actually broken so that you might be whole. Like the juice represents his blood that was shed so that you might be cleansed. I mean, this is so beautiful. So as you take this, and as you see this line of people, I pray that you would see people that were dead and God made alive. People that were broken and God said, even when. People that were messy and it said, but God right? You'd see this line of people in this family and say, wow, these are people that were dead, but God made alive. Jesus is so good. Amen? Let's pray.